1: All day, every mountain we may play, crooked ways, repent, and straighten, all creation, bend in praise.
0: And you, my child, shall be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare His way, to give His people knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. In the tender compassion of our God, the dawn from on high shall break upon us to shine on those who dwell in darkness and the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace.
1: Every valley be exalted, every mountain be made, creation of creation
2: reading is from the prophet Micah chapter 3. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi, and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old, and as in former years. The word of the Lord.
3: Our second scripture passage is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter three, verses one through six. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. The word of the Lord.
4: Good morning. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we thank you for the good and right and true words that we have both said and sung this morning, you know the particular need many of us have to hear those way, way down to our toes. The grief we carry in light of the events of the past few days in this dear family. I thank you for the words you've given us in Luke this morning and ask for your anointed care as I seek to preach and teach on them to people who desperately need to hear them. We need a reminder of just what advent means help us leave with that this morning in your name amen amen well good morning again if you're here and you weren't here at the beginning of the service and you're looking at your bulletin and seeing that johnny christina is supposed to preach you might be saying wow i've never seen johnny look so handsome as i do this morning um it is a, a, a privilege uh, to be here as often as I am. You know that, that we love you, my wife and I, and our church, Church of the Ascension, loves you. And it's a privilege to be able to be here this morning to help carry some of the burden many of you carry with the passing of Brian Barry. We've been praying for Holly and Brian for many years. And uh, my, my church council is praying for you this morning. My wife is praying for you this morning. So again, I'm privileged and honored to be here. I want to read to you a song. An important text, one you haven't heard yet this morning. And as I read to you this song, I want you to ask yourself, have I heard this song before? Hello from the other side. I must have called a thousand times to tell you I'm sorry for everything that I've done. But when I call, you never seem to be home. Hello from the outside. At least, I can say that I've tried to tell you I'm sorry for breaking your heart. But it don't matter; it clearly doesn't tear you apart anymore. Raise your hand if you've heard those lyrics, those words sung. <laughs> Look around for a second. Raise your Everybody, keep your hand up. Pretty much everybody has heard the lyrics, the, the first verse of that song by Adele that just came in to being about a month ago, about five weeks ago. Um, it's a haunting and beautiful song. It, it combines Adele's gifted, open-hearted storytelling, her ability to kind of, this is her life, her luxurious melodies and harmonies, and of course, if you've heard it sung, her titanium vocal cords, right, that these... All this package comes together to produce this beautiful song. And the fact that we've all heard it pretty much is astounding. I, we, we did this in our small group at church on th- Thursday night. We looked at the, all the lyrics of the song together, and I asked that same question. How many of you have heard it? Many people had not heard Adele sing it, but it's trickled out so far into the culture that mel- almost everybody had seen the Saturday Night Live parody of it. <laughs> and if you look up Hello Parody online there are dozens of them already this is the number one song right now in 28 different countries a writer from vanity fair wrote that when the trailer went up the internet collectively lost its mind and it's been viewed as of 10 o'clock yesterday morning over 588 million times over half a billion times in less than a month has this been viewed it's the first album to sell more than 1 million copies in one week, more than one week. So to sell a million one week and then to do it the next week. It's sold more albums in a week, 3.38 million, than any other album. The closest is probably Sarah Kersina's favorite album, her old Sync* album for 15 years ago, <laughs> which sold 2.4 million in a week. This has sold fully a million more copies in one week. It's the first song to sell more than one million downloads in a week. Now, it's very clear that Adele, and she actually has a last name, which I did not know till this week. Who, who, who knows her last name? <laughs> None of us know. Her last name is Adkins. Just, now you can take that into work tomorrow and drop a little tidbit when you need it. Adele Adkins is profoundly gifted at writing songs that touch our universal experience of relational brokenness and estrangement. Why is this song? When you hear those stats, you have to ask why. Yes, it's beautiful, but not half a billion viewings beautiful. There has to be something more. It has to be speaking to people in a different way. She has done something in a relationship that caused a rift, like we all have, or has experienced something in many of the other songs she sings that hurt her and like we all have. Someone once wrote that someone didn't love Adele and now the rest of us get to. Because she writes these songs again and again about that estrangement and pain and this kind of sorrow we all experience. And in this song she's, she's making an attempt to get it right, to reconcile, I've called a thousand times to apologize. She's done something wrong to someone important in her life and there have been consequences, a break, a rift, But again, she's reaching now across a veritable wilderness to make connection and to rebuild. And this is a story we can all relate to. We've all been hurt or hurt others and watched that rift occur. We can feel this ache, this betrayal, this pain that is a part of our lives and is a part of really every great story. Think of Samwise Gamgee in Lord of the Rings, being loyal despite Frodo's betrayal. Think of Edmund fighting and trying to kill the white witch and the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe after his betrayal, trying to make it right. And we as Christians here, we love great stories. Story of, of adventure and courage, of rescue and wrestling with the difficulty and pain and sorrow that is our lives very often. Stories of redemption and restoration. And we believe we're a part of God's great story, right? Creation, fall. Rescue and restoration. And that we're in one of the grandest storytelling seasons of our church year, the season of Advent. Where we look at Jesus coming as a baby to make all things new and right. We gaze at the eternal and are amazed that he enters into the daily on our behalf. And the question that that this raises for me is, what does Advent have to say to the ache That Adele touches so beautifully. To estrangement and broken relationship. To the need for reconciliation. Can Advent answer the things that happened in San Bernardino, California this week? Or is it just for us to feel good as we gather together and sing songs that sound beautiful? Does Advent have something to say about the loss of a dear, dear friend who has gone to be with the Lord way too early for most of our takes? The way we look at it. What does Advent have to say about that? Because, quite frankly, if it doesn't speak to that, doesn't it raise even bigger questions for all of us? Will you turn with me to Luke 3, please, if you have a Bible, and would you put those words up? Here again are the words that Bill Workman so dearly read with all those names. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iteria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. This is the John who was blessed by his father in your earlier reading, the canonical, the Zechariah reading. And John went into the region all around the Jordan River, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. What is going on here in Luke 3? And how can it help us answer some of these questions? Luke 3, the intent, Luke's global intent in his gospel is to proclaim again and again that Jesus is the salvation for the world. He's authenticating Jesus as a real historical figure. He's authenticating that Jesus brings the salvation that has been promised for centuries by God. And he's authenticating that it's for everybody, Jew and Gentile, you and me, He is the long-awaited answer to our longings and aches. Because in Israel at this time, there is estrangement. There is brokenness, the kind that Adele could write songs about. About 700 years before John the Baptist, Israel, the northern tribes of Israel, the ten tribes of Israel, were crushed by Assyria during the time of Isaiah the prophet, who these words come from first. He's crushed. Israel's crushed. And Isaiah is preaching and passes those words to John. There's estrangement in 722 B.C. Then there's estrangement again in 587 B.C. When the two remaining tribes of Judah are crushed by Babylon. And the reality of that crushing, the reality of the splitting of relationship, of Israel being sent into the wilderness away from Jerusalem, away from God, is what is being borne out for centuries now. And what Israel's experiencing as John comes on the scene. A strange between humanity and God and between humanity and one another. And in verse chapters 1 and 2 of Luke, Luke's been setting up there is an answer this historic little baby and his cousin are being born and all these narratives we hear and we'll read the next few weeks about Mary and Joseph and Elizabeth and Zechariah here comes the answer. But chapter 3 is a big jump because we move from Jesus at age 12 at the end of chapter 2 to Jesus and John around 30 at the beginning of chapter 3. It's this huge jump in his telling. And as he's done it, then he he sets us again in the historic narrative. He reminds us what's going on. And picture the power structure that he's describing. You know, over here in Rome, we have Tiberius Caesar. And then down on a local level, we have Pontius Pilate. And then on a more local level, we have these sons of Herod the Great, Herod and Philip and all these other guys here. And then in the temple, we have Annas and Caiaphas. And that's what makes the press. That's what's on the front page. The actions of those guys, that's what looks like is really history-making, these big power structures. But then Luke takes us way down into this baby in the first two chapters, this little baby born in a manger. And then his cousin. And his cousin, what we find out, goes and lives in the wilderness for probably 15, 20 years by himself, him and God. If you read through those chapters, I hope you're reading through one of the Gospels in your own Advent time, you'll see how God stitches us into the right family. Like Elizabeth, his mother, gets pregnant, and what does she do? She goes into seclusion for five months. John the Baptist was uniquely prepared for what God was going to ask him to do by the parents he was given his month can be, mom can be in seclusion for five months. He can go and be in the wilderness all this time. He's been preparing, and his cousin Jesus has been preparing, way off the global scene. Here should be the political, military, and spiritual solutions for Israel. I mean, Rome's supposed to bring a solution with their democracy and their Senate and their emperor and all these things. And the local rulers are supposed to bring thriving, right? Isn't that a local ruler's job? And then the spiritual rulers are supposed to bring the spiritual thriving, answer the spiritual questions of the people. And none of that is happening. All the capital letter letter, personal names that Bill read this morning are failing. Instead, this lone figure in the wilderness begins to preach this very old message about pathways and hills and valleys. And what he is saying is the Messiah is adventing. The Messiah is coming. This long-awaited-for answer to the aches and estrangement of the world is coming. Make straight. Make ready, he says. It's happening. Wake up. Make the roads ready, and not just for Israel. All nations, he says. All people will see the salvation of the Lord, meaning you and me. Because like Adele, we had all done something wrong. We had sinned against God and our neighbors. And the wilderness in our lives between me and you and God and them and you and us and God and everyone is vast and frankly eternal. And so here is a promise beyond comprehension made by John, make ready, he's coming. All those estranged from God by sin and death can be restored. Death will no longer be the winner, so get ready. Ready for what? Ready for a new political leader or a new military leader or a new high priest at the temple? No, ready for this little baby who's grown up and is now a carpenter in Nazareth and will come and die because he's the son of God. Ready for my cousin. Think about your family gatherings. Picture looking at your cousins and thinking, one of those guys is gonna be the Messiah. That's what it must have been like for John and Jesus at these family gatherings occasionally. John's gonna be the prophet, I'm gonna be the Messiah. Boy, that's weird. And he gives them two ways to prepare themselves. Repent and be baptized. Repent. Declare your need for the Messiah. Admit, like Adele is doing, you've done something wrong. Admit your sin and need for God and your desperation. And then baptized, be converted. At that time to be baptized was what Gentiles did to become Jews. So this is a push for John. What he's saying is all you Jews should realize that you are as low as the Gentiles. You're as far away, as we heard in Ephesians this fall, as the Gentiles. You should be baptized. You should start from scratch, just like the Jews. Repent and be baptized. Now, these words, again, for the original audience would have been incredibly provocative because, of course, they would have known. These were not John's words. Originally, they were Isaiah's. And John edits them a bit. Here's the words from Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 5. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended that her iniquity is pardoned, that she is received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be filled up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Isaiah is saying he is coming. And this chapter, like Luke 3, is a bit of a shift to what's been going on in Isaiah up till now. Isaiah is prophesying about 700 years before Jesus is born. He's prophesying through four different kings of Israel. He watches the northern kingdoms fall, and he prophesies Judah will fall as well. He's giving hard and harsh words in the first 39 chapters about what's about to happen the consequences for what they have done. The rift, the estrangement that's happened between Israel and God. They've worshiped themselves. They've told their own stories. We'll do our own way. They've thumbed their nose at God's loving protection and provision for them. And now there are utter and dramatic consequences for the nation. And they are sent across the desert to be slaves, first in Assyria and then in Babylon, living apart from their central place in Jerusalem where God met and lived in the middle of them. That's Isaiah 1 to 39. But in Isaiah 40, these words, this dramatic shift, like John 30 now, not a baby. These words, comfort, comfort my people. The estrangement you feel. The awareness that that death is not right. It wasn't a part of what was stitched into our being. There's something wrong about death. There's something wrong about hatred. There's something wrong about murder. There's something wrong about a marriage that has conflict. There's something wrong in a family with kids and parents who have conflict. There's something wrong when high school kids don't get along. There's something wrong. God is saying in Isaiah 40, but I will send the one who is right. Right. I will make it right. And here again, how this starts. What is your Advent's answer to the cry of your own heart and the cry of your friends and the cry of the people who live outside this building, wondering the same things you and I wonder as they hear Adele sing? Comfort, comfort my people. One scholar says about these words of Isaiah, the shift from chapter 39 to chapter 40. In chapter 40, we awake here on the far side of the disaster, impatient for the end of captivity. We awake on the far side of our pain and our suffering, and we are ready for a Messiah to advent to us. And the words comfort here are very dark, deeply translated as speak tenderly. Speak to the heart of the people. Comfort, I am sending my Messiah to rescue all people who receive him. Comfort, make straight the roads. Set up a procession like you would for the king coming in after a conquering to the city like the Roman rulers would arrive in Jerusalem. Make straight the roads. Make them ready for the king. Make your own heart ready. Repent. Raise the valleys and lower the mountains for the king is coming. One of the other lectionary passages that is assigned for the reading on today, the second Sunday of Advent, which is also St. Nicholas' day, the 6th of December. It's also a saint's day today. One of the other passages is Malachi 3. Here's the words from Malachi. See, I am sending my messenger, that's John the Baptist, to prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Indeed, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. The messenger of the promise, the bearer of the promise of God that it will be made right is coming to us. Because this is the subtle difference between Adele's song and the Advent song. The difference is that God is singing to us from the other side. The difference is the one who is wronged is pursuing us. The difference is the one who knows how deeply death is wrong is singing to us. It'd be like Adele sitting down to begin to write her beautiful song and God saying, you know what? I got it, I'm coming to you first. You don't even need to write it, I've got you. God who is wronged is moving to us because he wants relationship with you and me. He wants you close. The God of the universe wants you close to him. That's what John the Baptist is saying. That's what Isaiah is saying. God wants Israel back. Because without God, the wilderness of our distance with him ends in death. Without God, the wilderness of our distance and estrangement from him ends in death. It's why the estrangement of our lives that Adele sings about so well is so common. We all feel it and taste it. It's a taste of death. Because hell is utter estrangement from God and everyone else. That's what hell is. So when you feel that pain and it feels so real physically, emotionally, spiritually, it's because it is a hint of what hell will be like. But God says instead of that message forever, this message, comfort, comfort, comfort. Only the move of God down the crooked pathways of our lives can heal something as dark as the shootings this week. Colorado and San Bernardino. Only the move of God down the crooked pathways of our lives can heal the sins of my own heart and your own heart. Only the move of God down the crooked pathways of our lives can heal the wrongness and the inherent sense of displacement of death itself. Be someone young or old but especially for someone who died as a father and a husband to young children. Because death was not supposed to be a part of the system. as we close this morning, I just want you to note again that the word comfort is mentioned twice. It doesn't just say comfort my people, Isaiah. It says comfort, comfort which means that we might need to hear it more than once. Matthew Henry was a 19th century pastor who wrote an exhaustive commentary on the Bible, and he says this about this passage. The prophets have instructions from God to comfort the people of God, and the charge is doubled. Comfort you. Comfort you. Not because the prophets are unwilling to do it, but because sometimes the soul's of God's people, refuse to be comforted. And their comforters must repeat things again and again, ere they can fasten anything upon them. Sometimes the souls of God's people refuse to be comforted, and their comforters must repeat things again and again, ere they can fasten anything upon them. Comfort, comfort my people. I am coming to make it right. I know it's wrong. I want you with me. Advent is not just about great hot chocolate and gingerbread men. It's about the God of the universe sending his son to make it right with you and me. So as we close, I just want you to hear these words again. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended. Her iniquity is pardoned. And she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The mouth of the Lord that says, I am coming. I hate death. I hate the implications of sin, but I love you and I will make it right. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we cling to you because you are not only the answer, but you are all we have. thank you again for all the men and women who have stewarded these words down through the centuries that we might hear them again this Advent season. Would you please comfort those here who have the deepest need of it? Do you remind them that the estrangement that we all feel but that others, particularly today, are feeling because of the loss of Brian Barry, that you hate death, that you wanna be present to them as they grieve, Comfort those, Lord, this week, who have a hard time hearing it. And may this community be people who speak it to each other again and again and again. In your holy name, Amen.
1: And you be needs crushing. And hear the angels sing. For, For all the days are here.